Hey, keto freaks, this is Carl. Do you or someone you know have trouble focusing? You know what I'm talking about. You sit down to read something, try to figure out your monthly budget, write that novel you've been putting off, or maybe you just can't seem to do one task at a time. Well, you may not know this, but I'm a musician as well as a software developer. Programming is a job that requires focus, long periods of uninterrupted work. It's hard for them and for you. I've created Music to Code By. This is music, yes, but it's specifically and scientifically designed to promote focus. Studies show that when math students were exposed to Baroque music between 60 and 80 beats per minute, they did better with comprehension and testing. So I created more modern music that is neither boring nor distracting, but falls within that tempo range. It's just the right mix. I also made the pieces 25 minutes long. That correlates to research that shows we all get brain fatigue after 20 or so minutes of hard focus. The result is thousands of happy customers. Now, you don't have to be a programmer to reap the benefits of music to code by. It has been known to soothe restless pets, calm fussy babies, and even help autistic kids relax and fall asleep. Listen to some free samples at musictocodeby.net. Welcome back to Two Keto Dudes. I'm Carl Franklin from Connecticut in the United States. In February of 2016, I put myself on a ketogenic diet to take control of my metabolism. In just two and a half months, I managed to reverse all my markers of type 2 diabetes with diet alone. As of now, I'm about 70 pounds lighter with no signs of diabetes or heart disease. Hi, I'm Richard Morris in Canberra, Australia. I've been on a ketogenic diet for over two years. When I started, I was very sick with complications from type 2 diabetes. Within six months of starting a ketogenic diet, all of my biomarkers of disease had disappeared. I've also lost about 70 pounds, and I've completely turned my health around. So this show is a document of my progress going through nutritional ketosis and Richard's experience thriving for years in nutritional ketosis. Yeah. And hopefully that might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. Yeah, we're not doctors. We don't want to give anyone any medical advice, but we are keen to share our own experiences. We're actually both software developers, so we're not afraid of a little technical detail, are we, Carl? Nah. So we've done some research into our own deranged metabolisms and the science behind them, and we hope to share some of that research. Where possible, we intend to put links in the show notes to cite research supporting any claims that we make. And you'll probably work out pretty quickly that we're both foodies. Sure are. Yeah, we love to cook and we love to eat. And we share a lot of the great food that we can eat on this diet. And every episode, both of us share a recipe for an essential keto meal that we eat regularly. Mm, And this show is going to be not only no different, but all about (laughs) cooking. Exactly. (laughs) This is going to be episode 25, The Cooking Show. The Cooking Show. So, Richard, do we have any corrections or apologies from last week? Nope, we done good. Ain't nothing what we messed up. So I think we're fine. I think maybe this week we might do. I'm not sure that we're going to do a lot of science this week, so uh, we'll see. Yeah. 
But uh, all good suggestions, not just from us, but from our uh, Facebook group about uh, all about cooking. But first, let's do a reprise about what the ketogenic diet is. So the ketogenic diet is any diet in which you are producing ketones or you're in nutritional ketosis. Yeah, that's it. The version that we follow, we eat less than 20 grams of carbs a day, yep. which come from incidentals like green leafy vegetables, nuts, that kind of thing. That's right. We stay away from packaged food and we stay away from bars and and uh, shakes and all sorts of things like that. Yeah. You want to get just enough protein to fuel your muscles. Yeah. And if you want to know how much that is, go to the keto calculator, which we post on the show. Sure. And then the rest of your calories come from fat. And the fat is either on your plate or it's from that Krispy Kreme donut you ate a decade ago. <laughs> that's it. That's my favorite Krispy Kreme. <laughs> yeah. Trademark. So over time, uh, you'll find that you naturally eat less because your hunger goes away. Yep. And uh, you, after you go through carb withdrawal, which might take a few days in the first week or two, uh, it's pretty much smooth sailing. And then you can do stuff like intermittent fasting and extended fasting and really, really bring your insulin down. Yeah, you can get fancy. Yeah. And uh, if you want to know more about that, check out the Eating Patterns show that we did. Sure. All right. Well, how was your week, Richard? Yeah, I'm fine. I did uh, my normal uh, bike ride, long bike ride today. I did 45K. And uh, it was a sunny day to start off with, and then it started getting a bit cloudy, so I thought, oh, I'll come in. And mm. uh, I've also done a lot of cooking. I've had a smokeathon here. I have made – Nice. Uh, I have – I had I bought a plate, a beef plate, which is the beef version of the pork belly on a cow, obviously. Is that like the brisket? It's kind of like a brisket brisket at one end of it and the plate is sort of like well, it's the belly, really. But it, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's the belly. You'd roll it up to make it into a brisket roast. But so um we sliced that up and we have been curing it for the past uh, week and a half, and yesterday wow. I smoked it in three pieces. I smoked one plain, uh, one that was smoked with a pepper rub, and the other was smoked with a lemon myrtle, which is an Australian plant, and mm. also wattle seed, roast wattle seed rub. That's another Australian plant. So it's really um, Australian bush tucker spices. So, um, wow. yeah, it, delicious. Uh, we had some tonight for dinner. Oh, beef bacon <laughs> is so good. So, yeah, <laughs> I've, I've had an awesome week. How oh, was your week, great. Huh? Oh, it was awesome. I did a, uh, I went back to my eating pattern of lunch only. Mm-hmm. And if I do anything in the evening, it's a couple of drinks. Um, I found that drinking uh, a couple of bourbons actually does better for me than drinking wine. Sure. Um, Just because wine has some incidental carbs and, you know, if you can get rid of those, it's even better. But as we mentioned before, alcohol pauses ketosis and it does slow down, uh, you know, the rate at which you burn fat. Yep. So, but I, I kind of like this. It's a very comfortable pattern for me and uh, I don't get hungry and I lose weight uh, and it seems to work. But I had a slip up after the third day of this. Right. I started the day with what I thought was a benign food, mm-hmm. ham salad from the deli. Should be okay, right? Yeah, it should be okay. It was sort of ham chopped up in mayo. Sure. And I... And I tasted something else in there and I, it tasted kind of pickly, mm. but I thought it was like vinegar. I didn't think it was all that sweet, 
But then, you know, after I ate about a half a pound of this, I started feeling those telltale cravings, right? And I was oh, like, what's no. going on here? <laughs> so I went back to the store and I spoke to the person behind the deli and I said, can you tell me what's in this? And deli person went back to the cook or the chef. She comes back. She says, it's just ham, mayo, and pickles. Mm. And I said, can I see that pickle jar for a second? Oh, she goes, no. sure. She brings it back. Yeah, loaded with sugar. Yeah, number two ingredient was sugar. Pro yeah, it was. That's right. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So I stopped eating that and then I ate a, a keto lunch and uh, it was pretty good. And that basically solved my hunger problem. But then I was out with uh, Kelly, my wife, and we went to mm -hmm. go visit uh, my daughter, who's a hostess at a local restaurant. And there was a band right. playing, so we thought we'd check out the band. Nice. Yep. And she was hungry, and she wanted to get some wings. Hmm. And the wings on the menu looked like regular wings, and they came in different flavors and all that stuff. And I didn't get anything. And then her wings came, and they smelled pretty good. And I was like, hmm, I think I'm going to have one. Yeah. So I had one, and I thought they were pretty good. I didn't pay too much attention to it. And had another and another, and then I felt like I was getting hungrier again. And oh, I'm no. like, wait a minute. <laughs> and they were lightly, ever so lightly breaded. Oh, no. Yeah. They weren't really, really heavily, heavily breaded. Otherwise, I would have known, but, but sure. they were just ever so lightly breaded. Yeah. Yeah. And so I went home, and now I'm really hungry. So I basically pigged out on keto food. Oh, dear. Yeah. Because that's what I do when I'm hungry. I, I eat a lot of fatty stuff, bacon and whatever, and yeah. and then I was fine. But yeah, that did set me back. Yeah, well, that's you've gone from one one meal a day to three meals a day that day. So you had your ham yeah, salad yeah. to start off with. You had your keto lunch, and then you had your yep. you know you had dinner. That's the, right. Your, so yeah, it's 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 amazing how quickly that those carbohydrates just uh, get you on the roller coaster. You know. Yep. Yep. And I think I'll probably always be broken in that way. I will probably always be affected in that way by carbohydrates because I've been doing this yep. for two years and it still affects me that way. Sure. So anyway, I'm back on the back on the horse, no problem. Awesome. And I, lo I love the fact that I can get back on the horse, you know? Yeah. Before I got fat adapted and went through all this whole process and lost all my weight, if that had happened to me before while I was trying to eat better and eat low carb, and it happened to me a lot, yeah, I'd be wrecked for a month. It made you, made you set back. Yeah. Yeah. I'd go a month just saying, screw it. You know, I can't do this and get all, you know, down and stuff. But now it's like a day yeah. and I'm, and I'm back in the saddle. So yeah. no, d well I love done. that. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I still, I'm, I'm, you know, my, my weight is way off, uh, 72, 73 pounds, something like that. I've, wow. I've managed to drop a few, quite a few pounds. I put a couple back on, but I'm sure those will come back down in a couple of days. So there you go. Yeah. All right. Let it be a lesson to you kids. Read the labels. <laughs> <laughs> Don't trust anyone. Don't trust anyone. All right. It's time for mail. All right. We had some great mail, didn't we? Yeah, we did. We had one from our Facebook group. Now, if anyone wants to join us on Facebook, our group you can find at fb.2keto.com. Yep. But uh, this one was from Deanna, and we've heard from her before. And yes. This, this email floored me. It's, yep, it's me too. spectacular. Let me lay this out for you. Deanna proposes a language upgrade. Instead of saying keto flu... Let's say carb withdrawal. 
Keto yeah. flu implies that you are sick due to ketones, which is not true. Specifically, right. we become ill due to the withdrawal of carbohydrates. Yes. My former carb addiction appeared suspiciously similar to drug addiction. It was a nasty roller coaster ride on a daily basis. And I was a pissy creature <laughs> when I didn't get my carbs. <laughs> a little hangry. Once I broke that dependence, I didn't crave them anymore. She's so right. And we yeah. all just went, of course, why yeah. are we calling a keto flu? Well, everybody who wants to say horrible things about the keto diet, and we've got to admit there are people out there like vegans and dietitians who really think that what mm. we're doing is wrong. We right. have the science to disagree with them, but they're not interested in that science. They're interested in uh, their worldview. And mm. you'll find that a lot of them will say, oh, ketosis is a horrible condition because you feel like you feel get the keto flu it gives you the flu and most people can't yeah. stick that out well no it's actually carbohydrate withdrawal is exactly what it is and really the science says that when you have this it's because your body isn't quite used to or good at processing uh, fat and ketones and getting energy from ketones yet yeah. there isn't enough energy from glucose and so it's in this sort of limbo where you're just not getting enough energy. Yeah. It's in that yeah. horrible and valley between two comfortable peaks. Exactly. And it goes away in a couple of days. And if you know it's coming, yeah. you know, and you know that you can stick it out because you can, it's not impossible. It's not even difficult, really. You just no. kind of got to look forward to some naps. <laughs> All right. Well, this next one is from Jim Hausman. And he says, hey, everybody, I love the podcast so much. I started keto on May 1st, thanks to Reddit Keto, and I've discovered your podcast link there a week or so later. Cool. I'm down almost 50 pounds now. Wow. Yeah. Honestly, I might not have succeeded with the diet if it wasn't for the podcast. It's amazing. Keeps you very motivated. Thanks, Jim. Yeah, thanks, Jim. I could have not read that sentence because it was gratuitous <laughs> praise, but okay, we'll take it. Having said that, I have a question that maybe a bunch of other listeners have too. I don't believe you've addressed this before, but it's a question I get from other people all the time when I mention keto. For those of us on keto solely for weight loss and not to manage diabetes, how does one transition back into the world of carbs once our target weight has been obtained? What's the exit strategy? Ah. Don't get me wrong. I'm loving keto. And I know the standard advice is keep calm and keto on. But for some of us, the diet eventually has to stop. And I'm scared of gaining it all back again. Sure. Yeah. I've just been telling people I'd add carbs back in gradually and never again in amounts like before, but account for it by exercising at the gym. After doing keto, it's like I look at other types of diets and weight loss plans as inferior. Ha <laughs> ha. This has just been too effective and too easy and you feel so good. The longer I'm on it, the more I'm considering just not stopping. But a lot of people will need to eventually. What do we do at the end? Yeah, so th this is an interesting question. Sure is. Dr. Atkins' plan was to have people slowly add carbs back in until they find it the level that they gain weight at, and then they know what their long-term carb limit is, and then mm. just stay on that limit. Doctors Finney and Volek suggest that you just up your plate fat, you increase your plate fat until you stabilize your body weight. Right. Now, Tim Noakes suggests increasing carbs if you aren't on the diabetic spectrum. If you are, and 
for those of us who are carbs would just de- further derange us, then he suggests increasing fat. You know, what my experience this last week is a perfect example of that. I'm, yeah. I have insulin resistance and I'm type two diabetic, you know, and uh, just the, the slightest bit of sugar can, can kick me out. Yeah. It's, it, we're slowly getting better. The longer that we stay in a low sugar environment, we're slowly yeah. getting better, but it took us decades to get to where we are, and it yep. can it may take us decades to work our way back to the insulin sensitivity we had when we, we were younger. And most people generally get worse the older they get, so we may never get back to where we were when we were young. Yeah, but Jim's question is specifically about, I'm doing it for weight loss, I don't have metabolic syndrome. So in that case, yes, he might be more successful at slowly adding carbs back in. Yeah, I, I tend to think that uh, fat to satiety, which is our our catch cry, will address this issue because as you get close to goal, you should become more hungry and therefore you eat more fat. And so it's mm. kind of like it is really Finian Volek's strategy and Tim Noakes' strategy combined in one, but it's relying on being able to use your hunger. And a lot of people have a pessimistic view of hunger because in an environment with lots of carbs, hunger doesn't work very well. It just you had this problem today or the other day with um, uh, once you had a few carbs, your hunger was was unreliable. Right, but then again, I have diabetes, you know. And the question is for those who don't have it, and I have noticed um, in people that have done it for weight loss that don't have metabolic syndrome yeah. that once they get to a goal weight. Mm-hmm. They can actually eat carbs and not get hungry and not have the insulin response, and it helps them maintain. So, yeah. you know, I wouldn't recommend adding carbs for anyone in my position, in Richard's position, but yeah. who knows? I, I, I don't have the experience of somebody who doesn't have uh, metabolic syndrome and adds carbs. I don't have that experience, so I couldn't, mm-hmm. couldn't tell you. My only experience is with Julie. She did the diet at the same time that I did, and she is not insulin resistant, but she was becoming a overweight and mm. uh, that uh, and she can now tolerate a lot more carbs than I can so that's yeah. that's definitely proven the case my attitude is that we really can we need to be able to trust hunger I have an op- optimistic view of hunger and that is that um, learning to rely on hunger and other body signals to appropriately drive our feeding strategies is the only approach that's going to work on the long term yeah. Uh, because that's really what our bodies were evolved to do. And once once we get rid of that confusing noise that's created by mass amounts of carbohydrates, mm. once we get that noise out of our environment, then appetite's able to be used as an appropriate signal, just like it did for our grandparents and about 30,000 generations before them. And it only just stopped working around our parents' time when we introduced a lot of sugar into our into our food supply. Yeah. So, so that's my strategy. But I, I think if you... Eat fat to satiety, you will naturally, as you get to uh, a stable, healthy weight range, you will naturally end up eating more fat on your plate. If you need to, yeah. Mm. All right, so we have one more, right? Yeah. So this one's from Mick and also from our Facebook group. And Mick says, so I was thinking about all of those other diets that you hear about, Nutrisystem, Weight Watchers, etc. They always trot out some person who has lost an amazing amount of weight. And they look good, never mind the fact that they will gain it all back. Most likely, yeah. <laughs> but every one of those has the catch, results not typical. Hmm. Well, I can't help but notice that everybody here seems to be melting away. Only those who give up seem to be failing to lose the weight. Hmm. Dare I say keto results are typical? 
don't know. I know. I've only been doing this since February, so I haven't seen any long-term you know, effects uh, or one way or the other. I haven't seen anybody keep it off. I mean, I've seen you, you've been, you know, you've been losing weight and off it for two years, but, and, you know, I don't have very many, very much data to go on here. Yeah. Well, what we do have is we have the people who joined us in the group and we've seen some of their successes and, and you, you're commenting to me the other day that it seems to be that people are sharing great success stories and all of a sudden it's the same thing is happening to everybody that's been happening right. for us, which has been great. Yep. We did a poll in the group and uh, it turns out that 44% of people are actively losing weight. So that's an outstanding mm. result because for most diets it would be more like 10% are actively losing weight and 80% yeah. are plateaued and 10 are in the process of giving up. So mm. <laughs> yeah, know, yeah. we've got 44% are losing weight, 24% have plateaued for one reason or another, 17% mm. have started and they're just in the adaptation stage and another ten percent are at their goal weight, and they're sticking with keto. So, you know, over mm. half over half of us are either at goal weight or headed in that direction. So that's an outstanding yeah. result. And I would say that plateaued isn't failure either. That's uh, no. so you could probably add the forty four and twenty four together, get sixty six percent who are actually losing weight. If you're plateaued, you've lost weight. Yeah, by definition, yeah. and also you're in a low sugar state, you're in a low insulin state, you're in a low blood pressure state. So you know, if if you're a bit frustrated because everybody seems to be getting on a bus and going somewhere, and you still seem to be sitting at the bus stop, it's a good place to to sit and wait for a bus because you're yeah. low blood sugar, low low insulin, low blood pressure. So you, you're getting healthier you feel every great. day. And Karen Mangiacotti likes to tell her story a lot in the Facebook group, which is. You know, for the first few weeks or months or whatever, she gained weight. Yeah. But she kept going with it because she felt good. Yeah. She felt better. And she knew that it was going to happen. So she had noticed that even though she had gained weight, she was losing inches around her waist and uh, clothes were fitting better. And, you know, what's basically going on there is she's building muscle. You know, yeah. and muscle weighs more than fat. Yeah. So there you go. You're losing fat, but you're gaining muscle, and the net effect is that you're gaining weight. Mm. And so that happens from time to time. That may be what's going on in plateaus, but we don't really know. Yeah, I personally, I think I ran into my insulin level. So you know, that's uh, that's something that uh, that I'm working on. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I'm in a I'm healthier than I've ever been in my life. So uh, yeah. as far as I'm concerned, weight loss is not the uh, n- not the goal, but for me, it was a nice bonus. The goal for me was health. So I don't have an exit strategy. I plan to do this until the day I die. So I guess you could say my exit strategy is death. <laughs> they can prize keto out of my cold, dead hands. That's right. Give me bacon or give me give death. Me death. <laughs> uh, I feel a t-shirt coming on there. Oh, and by the way, get your two keto dudes t-shirts at gear.2keto.com. <laughs> Uh, we have t-shirts and coffee mugs and stuff, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time shilling it, but just go there and see if there's something you like. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about cooking. Yeah. Let's talk about cooking. Yeah. We obviously cook because we post recipes and yep. we know that some of you out there don't have time to cook. Well, you think you don't have time to cook, but really let's talk about the reasons why you should spend a little time every week cooking. Yeah, my, my theory has always been if you don't know how to cook, 
then you're just outsourcing control over your own health. And I think it's important that we teach our children, especially our boys, to cook because um, there's been an entire generation, the generation that we're in, mostly Mm. don't cook. We're probably unusual that we like to cook. And I think it's probably a good thing if you have kids to inoculate them against obesity by teaching them the mechanisms of cooking. And also the fact that you're going to the store, picking out food, bringing it home and cooking it, you're you're getting fresh ingredients, obviously. Yeah. And, you know, avoiding the things in boxes. And mm-hmm. for the reason Richard just said, you know, you're outsourcing your health to whoever put this stuff together and whether they bent the truth by telling you how many carbs are in there or not, or right. sweeteners or whatever, you know, it's just always better to eat real food. So uh, let's talk about the excuse, I don't have time to cook. Sure. All right. But you got time to watch Game of Thrones, right? (laughs) Well, it actually doesn't take that long to cook. No, it doesn't. You can literally cook up an entire week's worth of food in a couple of hours, you know? That's right. And a lot of things that we cook can go in the oven and you just have to sit in the kitchen and take them out when they're done or a crock pot or, or things like that. So I think of cooking as an investment in time in Mm. my health. And I think of the food that I, that I buy and the, the kitchen accoutrement, you know, Mm -hmm. that I buy as medical expenses. Wow. Yeah. Let's think about this for a second. If you Mm. consider food to be medicine, you have no problem going to the pharmacy and dropping a hundred bucks on, you know, metformin or whatever it is. I know metformin doesn't cost that much, but Mm -hmm. you know, whatever the medications are, you have no problem taking an ambulance ride to the ER when you have a heart attack. And you know, that's going to cost you a lot of money and probably out of pocket because let's face it, insurance in the U S sucks. And you have no problem paying these bills because you sort of have to, but nobody's really holding a gun to your head and saying, hey, you should go buy a fry pan or you should buy a vacuum sealer or you should get a crock pot or anything like that. These are all optional because we can just go get prepackaged stuff and, and right. cook it and eat it or, you know, microwave it, which is, you know, has become very popular, but it just doesn't take that much time. Mm. And if you think about it as an investment in your health, not only a money investment in the gear that you buy, but a time investment. Like Richard said, you can just do a few hours a week and uh, put everything in the freezer and pre-make your meals and and uh, you're going to be so much happier. Not only that, but it's fun. Yeah, it is. It's a, like a, it's like a down payment on enjoyment on a great meal. Absolutely. Yeah, so we have great meals here, Julie and I. And in a lot of cases, the actual meal itself takes five or ten minutes to prepare mm. because we've pre-done some of the some of the work maybe a month ago for example yeah. we might take a a shoulder of lamb and we'll s- smoke it or slow cook it or and we'll bag it up into freezer bags and into portion 200 gram portions and um, I may have an entire tray of my freezer with about 30 perfectly portioned frozen uh, pulled lamb and all I've got to do is pull that out chuck it in the microwave for a minute chuck it in a pan Add some kind of sauce, uh, a tomato sauce or a, a, a bit of stock, um, some spices, and I've got an entire range of things that I can that I can turn that into. Yeah, so I totally agree. The first piece of equipment that you'll need to have is a freezer. Ah, yes. If it's your freezer section of your refrigerator, that's fine. Yeah. But you know, before you start here, let's throw out all the garbage that's in there mm. or all the 
old frostbitten, you know, <laughs> things that you thought you were going to eat. And can no longer identify. Yeah, that haven't been packaged correctly and they're all sort of, uh, yeah. So that's it. That's first. Um, also, before you do any of that, you sort mm -hmm. of have to clean out your pantry, right? Sure. Julie wrote a great story on my blog, uh, which we'll link in the show notes, uh, on how to clean out your kitchen pantry. And her recipe for doing this is get rid of all of the snacks. And this on the blog are a bunch of alternative snacks that you can replace things like potato chips and crackers and biscuits and cookies with. And um, uh, get rid of all breakfast cereals, muesli bars, granola, uh, granola bars, uh, you mm -hmm. don't. You you're not going to be able to eat those in keto. Um, oatmeal. Oatmeal. Yeah. Um, pretty much get rid of all of those uh, starches. Get rid of pasta. Get rid of rice. Get rid of uh, wheat based flours. Yeah. Sugars. You don't want any sugars in your life. No. Nope. Um, corn flour and cornstarch. Um, anything that's low fat. Pretty much anything that's low fat is evil. Just Toss it all. Somebody's made a pact with the devil to to, to make that That's thing right. taste okay by putting sugar in it. You do yeah. you do not want that. So pretty much the first thing that I suggest people do when they go keto is to go through their entire pantry and get rid of all of the food that doesn't fit a ketogenic lifestyle, which is basically anything with sugar and starch in it. Um, yep. And keep all of the things like you want to keep oils. In fact, you want to add to your oil collection because there's a lot of wonderful oils like nut oils, avocado oils. Avocado oil, yeah. Yeah, olive oil is great. Um, we even we even have some of the omega-6 oils, like we have a little bit of soy oil and-, and Linseed oil, flax oil. Linseed oil, flax oil, yeah. So Coconut oil. Coconut oil. Oh, definitely. We, ha we get- we buy coconut oil in bulk from Costco and <laughs> we go through yeah. that stuff like crazy. Um, so you want to keep uh, vinegars. You want to probably add to your vinegar collection. You, you yeah. Be a bit careful about, you know, your, your finishing vinegars, your balsamics. They can be a little yeah. bit sweet. But for the sure. most part, you know, sh uh, vinegars are great. Apple cider vinegar is a must. Oh, yeah. Got to have apple cider vinegar. So yeah. um, we love herbs and spices, uh, and uh, we uh, love add, adding them to food. So make sure you uh, keep your herbs and spices. Most of them have no uh, carbs, except there's a few that have sugar in them. Uh, like there's an Indian one uh, that's made from fennel seeds that's coated with sugar. You don't want to. <laughs> you don't want those. All right. So let's talk about the gear that you should buy. And we said before, a freezer. If your freezer is already stuffed full of ice cream that your partner or your roommate has got in there and you need more space, you know, jump on Craigslist, jumped on Dean's yeah. List or whatever it is. Get a chest freezer. Get a chest freezer. They're, they're pretty cheap or you could find a used one. Mm. Uh, is what we did. We found one for a hundred bucks and nice. it lasted us for a while and then it started leaking and frosting over. So it's time to get a new one. But but a freezer is going to be a critical piece of medical equipment for you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and the great thing about chest freezers is because hot air rises, cold air falls. And because the chest freezer, when you open it, the cold air doesn't fall out like it would in a, in a, in a stand-up freezer. Um, it, they're very efficient to run, very cheap to run. So, mm. um, yeah, I, I highly recommend um, getting yourself a, a decent-sized freezer. Also a vacuum sealer. Now, mm. this is a device that comes with a roll of bag that's sealed mm. on, the, on the left and right edges, and you basically pull it off, slice it, and seal one end, put some stuff in there, and 
flip it over, seal the other end, and it sucks all the air out, and you're left with this really heavy-duty plastic, airtight, uh, sealed thing that you can you can do. Like Richard says, he puts uh, portioned meat in there. Yeah. I just cooked up a uh, pernil, the uh, okay. Cuban slow cooked pork roast the pork mm, butt nice that yeah. was my recipe a couple of shows ago mm. and that's the kind of thing where you know it's it's essentially spices that go on a pork shoulder with a little olive oil put it in a bag you know an oven bag in a rack in the oven 275 degrees for about five and a half hours and that's it. That's all there is to it. Nice. You just put it in and you take it out five and a half hours later. What's the problem? You sit in the kitchen and work on your laptop or yeah. go take a nap or whatever. And you come back. Go cut some code. Yeah. Yeah. You let that rest. And then you make up a, a sauce with the juice and add some butter or heavy cream and get that in. And that'll solidify. And then you can take some of that pork butter, I like mm, to call it, yeah, and butter. just add it to the, the portioned and uh, versions. And with our leftovers, I had six meals out of that. Wow. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. So anytime I'm home and I'm, I don't have time, I'll, like Richard says, throw it in the microwave. I prefer not to put plastic in the microwave for, you know, cause yeah. I'm a little paranoid about mm, BPAs, you know, yeah. BPAs. So what I do is I just take a pot of water that's uh, near boiling and uh, throw it in there. Yeah, and let it let it warm up. Good idea. I would probably regard a vacuum sealer as an optional rather than a necessary gadget because we we get, in Australia we can get um, Ziploc bags that are meant to go in the freezer or in the microwave and are, and are generally regarded as safe for both options. They have oh. a little space where you can write on what they are and you can actually use a Ziploc bag to remove most of the air by rolling the food. Um, so, you know, if you can't afford a vacuum sealer, um, then uh, then you can buy Ziploc baggies, which will do the job. But, yeah, I love my vacuum sealer. I use it for sous vide. I use it for everything. Yeah, there is a hand pump version of a vacuum sealer where you okay. can get special Ziploc bags that mm -hmm. have the, a flap or something. Yeah. And I'm not sure if Ziploc is the brand, but essentially then it looks like a, a bicycle pump, but a smaller one. Okay. And you basically set it right over this flap mm. and then... Pump it out and it sucks all the air out. It's yeah. like a little valve. Yeah, yeah, a valve, exactly. And then there are little Tupperware style uh, containers that also work with this hand sealer. Oh, okay. And so, yeah. So not only do you have bags, but you can actually seal these, uh, you know, things. Yeah. And it, using those, of course, is going to be more expensive and going to take up more space in the freezer. But you get the idea. What you want to do is make something that's going to give you 10, 15 meals. Right. And then portion it up and freeze it in these bags. And you want to get the air out. Otherwise, it's going to get freezer burn and mm. it's not going to be good when it thaws. Yeah, that's true. So what other kitchen kitchen gadgets would you put on your list of must-haves? Definitely a cast iron fry pan or two. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Now, I get the classic Loge yeah. uh, cast iron fry pans. You have cast iron too, right? Yeah, I do. I've got a Osfont one, which is made from, it's an Australian one made with Australian steel, but it was actually designed by an engineer who went to school with my brother. So, uh, wow. so I'm a little bit partial to those, but they're, 
they're just as good as lodge ones, I'm sure, mm-hmm. um, but they're intended to be handed down for generations. So they're, they're intended to be right. in these families for two, three hundred years. And you'll find you'll find out some. There's some uh, families uh, who've passed on cast iron um, because it just yeah. doesn't break; it lasts forever. Nope. And doesn't break, doesn't warp. No, all you need to do is. I mean, it's not non-stick. You know, there's a technique for uh, for sealing them that uh, it's called seasoning a pan. All oh, right, yeah, yeah. And it's very simple. Uh, you want to use an oil with a with a high smoke point, mm. like flaxseed oil, linseed oil, sure. same thing. Grapeseed oil. Um, yeah. You can use yeah, grapeseed oil. Olive oil is okay. Mm. It smokes a little bit, you know, lower, but that's all right. And what you're going to do is essentially coat the pan all over, and I mean all over under over, inside, handles, no surface should be unfatted. <laughs> and then essentially you put it in a 350 degree Fahrenheit oven for about an hour, at least an hour. And then you want to turn off the oven, not touch it. Cause guess what kids, that's yeah. going to be blazing hot. Very hot. And uh, let it cool down. When it comes out, you wipe it out and you're probably done. Yeah. You know, you may want to do it again if you need to at a certain point. But the next question is, how do I wash, yeah. you know, these pans? Don't put it in the dishwasher. Don't put it in the dishwasher. But I've heard people say you can't use soap to clean, oh, you, you know. Can, the, yeah. yeah, you can. Absolutely. What you can't do is use an abrasive, right? Mm, so don't right. use a, don't use a, a scoury steel yeah. wool. Yeah. That'll scrape off your seasoning. If you put it in the dishwasher, um, what will happen is you'll lose all of your seasoning and then it'll rust if you don't season it yeah. immediately. So you pretty much, if you do dishwash it, we, we I guess we wash ours maybe once a month or so, just, um, you know, okay. uh, in soapy water. Most times you just, just wipe it out with a, with a, with a paper towel. And, yeah. you know, that, that they don't, uh, they don't pick up a lot of, um, a lot of food residue. Um, we also yeah. have a, a German pan, which is not a cast iron pan. It's a steel pan, but it's a non-stick steel pan. Um, it, nice. it doesn't have a, a it doesn't have a Teflon coating. It's the actual steel mm. itself is very mm, yeah. milled very finely. But yeah, I love my cast iron. Getting a if you want to get serious steak, just put the cast iron pan on on a high heat and just leave it sit, let it sit there and it just builds up a rolling heat and then you put your steak on and it mm. jumps. <laughs> it is so, so quick to sear. Yeah. So there's a couple of other things here. After you wash your cast iron pan, you need to dry it immediately. If you let the oh, yeah. water sit on it, it's going to rust as yeah. Richard said, uh, dry it with a paper towel immediately. Um, also cast iron keeps and holds heat better than stainless steel or Teflon coated pans. Yep. And so you typically don't have to turn them up as high, especially if you're over a flame. So typically when I'm cooking anything in a cast iron skillet over flame, you know, I have a propane range. Yeah. I'll just turn it to medium low. Okay. And nice. that's where I start, you know, um, medium is really too high for most things that need to need to cook like eggs or, yeah. you know, even sausages or hamburgers or anything like that. Yeah. The other thing is that a meal, if you make a meal in it, a sauce or, you know, a stew or something, um, you can uh, sit it on a trivet and it'll hold the temperature for a long time. So you don't right. have to don't have to put it on a, a low on a low stove. You just throw it on a trivet and it'll hold its uh, heat nicely. Yeah. 
if I'm making eggs for my family in the morning, you know, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll cook them up and it might take a few minutes before the kids come rolling into the kitchen to, uh, to have breakfast. I'll just let it sit in the pan until they're ready yeah. and it'll keep them hot. One thing that I really like using with a cast iron pan is a cooking stick. Now this is a device. I've been looking for the link to this thing, uh, because it is a thing, but basically it's a wooden spoon with a flat end and it's got a flat, Like a spatula. Like a spatula, but it's got a flat sort of um, edge to it and it's really good for pulling the fond off the bottom of the cast iron pan when you're cooking, ah. like you cook some bacon or something and you've got that little crispy stuff on the bottom of the pan. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, you know, this, <laughs> this, can, this can get in there and because it's wood, it doesn't scour the pan it doesn't damage the surface so i love yeah. my cooking stick um i'm going to put a i guess i have to put a photo of it on my blog but uh, i've got to find the website for these people that make this thing but mm. it's just a, it's just a spatula a wooden <laughs> spatula but it's called it's called a cooking stick <laughs> all right we also talked about using a slow cooker or a crock pot oh yeah and this is great for people who want to save time because you get up for work uh, in the morning, and before you go to work, it takes you five minutes to put stuff in the crock pot, whether it's a, a porchetta or a roast sure. or uh, you know some pork or some lamb. Put a little uh, liquid in the bottom, not too much because more liquid means it'll dry out. And this right. is something that a lot of people learn the hard way. Mm. Uh, and you know, put some oil in there is better, a yeah. better option, seasoned oil, and then just let it cook. And set it on low and go away and come back after work and you've got dinner. And what you can do actually with the slow cooking meals is you can, on a Sunday before before your week starts, you can put together seven different meals in bags ready to go and just freeze them. And you just, uh, you've got all of your ingredients in the bag. It's frozen. Uh, you've got Monday written mm -hmm. on it or Tuesday what it is and, and how you propose mm -hmm. to eat it and you just dump it in your slow cooker. Go off to work. When you get home, you've got a you know, freshly cooked meal. It's wonderful. Yeah, that's right. A blender. Everybody needs a blender. Oh, yeah, definitely. What do you call it, a whizzer? <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, you could whiz it. <laughs> we, I've got one. I've got a bunch, but I have one called yeah. the Magic Bullet, which is awesome. It's a... It's a, a as seen on TV Demtel item, yeah. that, but uh, it does a really good job of um, grinding spices. A really good job of uh, uh, mixing up sauces. I've also mm. got a, a stick blender for making mayonnaise, and oh, yeah. I've got a food processor which can also blend for you know large batches and stuff. So those three are probably my my uh, critical ones. You want something cup size, you want a stick blender, and you want something bowl size. I also have a food processor. Now, remember, this is medical equipment. You have to really look at this as an investment in your health, kids. Yeah. Right? And you gotta, you can't justify this as just stuff I like to play with. This is your health we're talking about. Yeah. And, you know, the more you cook at home, the healthier you're going to be. So I have a, a Cuisinart food processor nice. that I use for everything. Yeah. I love it, love it, love it. Yeah. Wonderful. I've been tempted to buy a Therm Thermomix. Um, these are devices that cook and blend and uh, you basically are programmable. You can set everything up and they'll do the job for you. You can say so you can temper chocolate in them. You can make mousse. You can make soup. You can make everything in them. But they're like 1800 bucks. And the only mm. way you can get them in Australia is through a party plan. So you have to basically go to somebody who's already got one. And it's like a multi-level marketing thing. And oh, no, wow. I, I just I, yeah. 1800 bucks. 
but I'm tempted. It's a medical equipment. <laughs> you know, it's important. Yeah, that's right. It's medical equipment. Would you skimp on a dialysis machine for your house? No, I, I don't think you would. <laughs> but guess what? If you don't, you know, I'm not even going to say that. <laughs> this is insurance that you're basically uh, investing in your health. It is. Um, a garlic press. Yeah. I went through seven garlic presses before I landed on one that actually worked well. I also have a good one as well. The key is that I think... Don't buy a plastic one. Nope. Buy a metal garlic press that's sturdy mm. and has some weight to it. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Uh, I think that's what I landed with and, and I, I use it all the time. There's all sorts of crazy contraptions yeah. for helping you peel garlic, for helping you. You don't need to peel it. No. No, you just, you just pull the cloves off, leave the skin on, put them in the press and bear down on it. Use some muscles. Uh, that's right. And you know that, and that's why you want a sturdy press. I've got this fancy one that, that, that as you open the garlic press, it's got a little, um, blade that, that, uh, slices off. It basically comes out the backside of the garlic press to, to pull all of the garlic off that's just been pushed out. So, wow. um, it's a fancy piece of equipment, but that's nice. Yeah, it is. The other thing that I really like is a garlic roaster. So this is a little terracotta thing, and you basically uh, put an entire bulb of garlic in, and you slice through and cover it with a bit of oil. Uh, slice basically through the base of it, cover it with a bit of oil, and you put it in your oven, and it will roast your garlic for you. And basically, you will just be able to squeeze the garlic out like toothpaste. Yeah. And it just modifies the flavor. It's still obviously garlic but it's so mellow it's delicious mellow mild Mm. takes that bite away yeah it does and you can spread it on fathead crackers or whatever (laughs) else you want spread it on a piece of cheese oh Oh, yeah spread it on a piece of bacon (laughs) so the other thing that i really love is a good chef knife yeah i've always liked to have nice knives i've never i've not always been able to afford them Mm. but when we came back to australia we saw some shun knives now these are japanese knives they're a watered steel so that they um they're basically layer upon layers almost samurai sword quality of of a a knife and i have a santuco knife which has got scallops in the blade to enable it to go through something like a piece of cheese where normally you get the blade is it it sticks to the material this prevents that happening and Mm. these are extremely sharp i say probably a good idea to have a good chef knife I really like my Santuku. It fits to my hand mm. perfectly. And so, um, you know, I, lo- I love that knife. And I- you need a good wooden chopping board. You can use bamboo. Yep. You-, you can you can use a, a polycarbonate as well. I mean, the- you can use a-, a plastic one. But I prefer to use a wooden chopping board personally. Me too. So, um, so yeah. I-, I definitely suggest you must have one good knife. But um, <laughs> I've got an entire set of knives that I love. My paring knife, my cleaver, yeah. my carving knife, and my filleting knives. These I use almost every day. So, And get yourself a good knife sharpener too. Oh yeah. And uh, not just the honing stick that comes with a set of knives because that, that doesn't quite sharpen it. It just sort of realigns the the edge molecules and lines them up yeah. so that it does, it it does of, sharpen of, it. But. It gets rid of burrs. So you may, yeah. you may have a slight burr to the blade, but no, I send mine out to be sharpened. I get a professional to do, to do the job, but you can get a, a diamond block and sharpen your own knives. I should, probably should do that. There is a local supermarket here called Big Y. Okay. And if you bring your knife set to the butcher, they will sharpen them for free. Oh, wow. 
That's Isn't nice. that great? Yeah, that's pretty good. We, we've got a, yeah. uh, in, a place called Essential Ingredient, which has all sorts of uh, far out ingredients, and they have a, a, a professional knife sharpener who turns up every month, and and basically he's out the back with his um, with his grinding stone, getting your knives perfectly mm. ground. So love it. We send them out to him. So there's ways to do it. Uh, next on my list, a pizza stone. Really, I think it's absolutely critical now that I've done a fathead pizza on it. Oh yeah. I wouldn't do it any other way. It holds the heat and it dissipates it so you don't end up with hot yeah. spots. It's really a great way to cook pizza. As opposed to putting a pizza crust on a cold cookie sheet. Right. You know, this is already hot when you put it on there so it doesn't have to cook as long. Mm. But that's my recipe. I'll get to that later. <laughs> So, of course, you need an oven and a stovetop, and I think you need both of those. I've gone through times where my oven's broken and I've tried to survive, and it's, you know, with Dutch ovens on a stove, <laughs> a stovetop, mm-hmm. it's just, it just doesn't work. So, um, yeah. I think pretty much you need to get yourself an oven. There are some uh, fan-forced ovens that you can buy just like a glass, it's like a glass terranium with a, a fan on top that uh, forces <laughs> heat through it, and Neat. they do a reasonable job, but no, a, a good oven is worth the, worth the money. You're also going to need some cookie sheets, service trays, cooking trays. Yeah. The you know these basic things that we use in um, parchment paper is yeah, definitely, definitely something that we look to because a lot of the things that we bake are protein based, and so they will stick to metal, and, right. uh, but they slip right off of parchment. Nice. So a couple of let's go through a couple of optional gadgets that would be nice to have. You don't have to have them. One of them is right. a sous vide machine. Yeah. Yeah. You've got a dog food, right? So you've got a gadget that converts your slow cooker into a sous vide machine. Yep. And it's about a hundred bucks. And I've talked about it a couple of times on the show. Um, It's great if you can put up with the clicking of the relay, turning the crock pot on and off. But it's a nice way to make a 72-hour uh, piece of beef. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I've i got a, an Aldi water water bath, which I've spoken about before. But I think the thing I really want to get at some point is a circulating uh, uh, wand device. So mm. uh, there's a couple of brands out there that uh, – um, that will do them. So uh, I've got my eye on a couple. I've got I'm, I've kickstarted one, so I'll wait and see if they uh, actually end up with a product at any point. Yeah. Uh, a pressure cooker. Yeah. Something that I have and yeah, I love absolutely. it. Absolutely. Making stocks. Making stocks or, or making uh, tough meats palatable, stuff mm. that you would normally slow cook. Yeah. You can do in the pressure cooker for uh, an hour. Sure. And it's like it's been cooked for four or five hours. Yeah, when it comes out. Yeah, I another thing I really like is a bacon press, which is a weight that you put on top of bacon to stop it curling mm. up, and it forces yeah. the entire surface area of the ba- bacon to come into contact with the pan rather than just parts of it come into contact. It forces the entire thing, so the entire surface of the bacon cooks. And oh, I, I got to get one I, of those. Yeah, I got one from. Uh, uh, a place in America, actually in uh, Los in Los Angeles, in Glendale, called Sula Table, but it's uh, it's a mm. it's got a wooden handle and it's got a cast iron base, and it does a wonderful yeah. job. So I highly recommend a bacon press. Wow, I'm going to get me one of those because this is how you use it: you put the bacon press in the hot pan and let it heat up. Yeah, and so now you've essentially got two pans, one on the bottom and one on the top, and your bacon not only cooks all the way through, but it cooks in half the time. Sure. 
Sure. The other thing I really like is a ring form, which is a uh, it's mm. like a, a, a like a cookie cutter, like a large round cookie cutter, but you use it to place food in the middle of a plate. It's it's a fancy thing that chefs do, but um, I like it because it it means that I can stack uh, I can stack a fennel salad on the bottom. I can stack pulled meat <laughs> in the middle. I know Carl's laughing right now. He oh, I love no, hilarious. I love I'm laughing because I I, I love this. Yeah. I mean, we're foodies here. <laughs> yeah. Like we're eating really restaurant quality food that we're making at home uh, a ring mold who does that i do that <laughs> i do that now you can actually ghetto it um you can buy these things from essential ingredient in australia and then i'm sure there are places like sula table in in uh, in america but yeah you can use a tuna can ring right absolutely you just you get it ghetto it by cut out both ends of a of a, of a can and use that but, <laughs> that's uh, right but it's a good way of uh, it's a good way of portioning to make sure that everybody gets a, the yeah. right size portion and it makes you fan food look a bit fancy. I also have a cast iron Dutch oven. Oh yeah. This is really good for cooking stews. Mm. And I have a, both a beef and a lamb stew that I make and uh, slow cooked Ooh, in nice. the Dutch oven. I haven't made it for a while. I'm going to have to post the recipe, yeah. but it's a modified recipe from Cooks Illustrated. I don't know if you know about Cooks Illustrated. No. Well, you've heard of Consumer Reports. Yes. All right. Consumer Reports is a not-for-profit organization that does um, testing of different products and then rates them, and they are free from advertiser influence. So they're s strictly uh, subscription based. You buy a subscription and you know you're getting an unbiased opinion. Sure. Well, Cooks Illustrated is sort of the consumer reports of cooking. Okay. They have, if you've heard of America's Test Kitchen, yeah, yeah. They have a test kitchen suite in Boston, this huge, huge place where they essentially perfect recipes. And then they publish, it's a subscription only magazine with no advertising. And they publish these stories where they go through the process of how they, how they started, what didn't work, what did work and how they modified the recipe to end up where they got. Wow. Yeah. It's just wonderful. The problem is of course. It's not low carb. So <laughs> if, you, if you don't mind the, the food porn with the yeah. biscuits and the pies and the cakes and all that stuff, uh, you know, they, it's really good for essential cooking techniques, though. Right. So the Dutch oven, um, what it is, is it's a cast iron, for lack of a better word, a kettle looking thing. And you can buy a large version and a small version has a cast iron lid yep. and essentially like a slow cooker, you put stuff in there and put it in the oven and, uh, yeah. Yeah. You can use one instead of a slow cooker. I've got a large La Crusette one, which, so it's enameled, it's a enameled cast iron. So, mm. um, it, that makes it even more nonstick. You don't have to season it. Um, mm -hmm. but, uh, the, uh, it does a really good job. Fish is, you know, you can do, do fish in it very easily or stew, as you say, you know, do a nice stew. Yeah. Yeah. So another gadget that I've got that I know that you're going to get for your birthday, which is coming out very soon, is a hot smoking box. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a this is a device you uh, you basically have a propane fire underneath. Above the fire, you have a a box full of chips, like hickory chips or some kind of hardwood chips. Mm -hmm. And then above that, you have a container full of water. And then above that, you have your meat on racks and it's really good for making bacon and mm. uh, turning pork belly into bacon. Or ribs or any kind of smoked meats. And so what we do, one of the things that we do is we get a muffin tray and we buy a whole bunch of bulk tomatoes that are going off 
from Costco or whatever. Yeah. And we cut them in I cut them in halves and we get a muffin we get two muffin trays into this thing and we put we cut the tomatoes in half and put them into these muffin trays and smoke them and then puree them and we end up with barbecue tomato because obviously oh. it's been smoked. So it's a really efficient way of doing that. a low carb tomato sauce. That is brilliant. So that's that's one of that's that's a, a little mini recipe that I got for you there. But uh, now there are also electric smokers which don't use propane, right. and they do a pretty good job too. They do. It's just all you need is heat to get the the, the smoke to smoke to happen out of the, out of the wood. I know that around about I got mine from Aldi, and around about Father's Day in Australia and in America, they have these cookers, these uh, smokers. And Father's Day in Australia is different than Father's Day in America. It's a different date. So you just got to work out where you are. <laughs> but so it, they, they had the, it was like maybe 130 bucks, 140 bucks. It wasn't, didn't cost mm. a lot of money. And okay. it was, it does a really good job. So I highly recommend it. Great. And the, the one in America last year was an electric one. The one in Australia was a propane one. So, you know, both okay. do a good job. Now, there's also such a thing as a cold smoker, right? Or a smoking yeah. gun is another yeah. technique. I've got one of those. They're, they're, I've just put, I've only recently got it, and I've, I smoke things like I smoke macadamias, which, uh, which is awesome. <laughs> I've smoked butter. <laughs> smoked butter yeah. is fine. <laughs> so the, uh, it's, it sort of looks like it's got a pipe on it like you, where you stick wood shavings or something, and then you yeah. light it. It almost kind of looks like drug paraphernalia. It, it, and it, then the, yeah, it looks like a cone, basically. Yeah. And then it blows the smoke into, you know, some contained space and you can use a bag, mm. you know, or, or I don't know what else you use. I, I put cling wrap over a, uh, over a bowl. I put the food in the bowl. I put cling wrap over the bowl and I stick the pipe mm. from the device in. It's got a little fan. It's battery powered. It's got a little fan in it mm. and it draws air. F it basically has a little impeller. It draws air from yeah. through the smoking device and sends it out the pipe to the food. I've done things like shirataki noodles. So you, you get oh, shirataki wow. noodles and you wet them so that they've got something for the smoke particles to attach to. And maybe you might mm -hmm. put some melted butter in or something like that because smoke, yeah, yeah, sure. smoke attaches to the Adheres oil particles. Yeah. yeah. And then um, and then you basically, you cover it with a bit of cling film, stick the pipe in, hit it with some smoke. So basically that fills the bowl full of smoke and then you turn the smoker off because you're going to hit it three or four times and yeah. you shake it up and down and you shake these shirataki noodles covered with melted butter in smoke, and eventually the smoke will subside because it, it all all the particles come out of suspension in the air, mm. and so you hit it again, and then you hit it a third time, and then you just use those uh, smoked shirataki noodles. They are awesome. They taste really oh, good. <laughs> how long does it take? I mean, how long do you let the smoke permeate for? Well, it. It probably will dissipate within maybe two minutes, so it's not very long. Really? So yeah, I know when when I did butter, I actually had a recipe for the smoked butter. It was actually a uh, Beurblanc sauce using the using the butter, and so I um, and the recipe said basically put it in the fridge in between uses, and so you basically mm. charge it full of smoke, put it in the fridge. The smoke gets into the butter, you pull it out, you give it some more smoke, you chuck it back in the fridge again. So three times and then you're uh, three times a charm. And you end up oh with my God, this is great. smoke flavored butter. It's awesome. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. So uh, there's one more thing that I want to talk about, which is muffin top pans. Okay. Now, a muffin top pan is like a muffin pan, but the receptacles are larger 
and more shallow. So the holes are like the top end of a mushroom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, of, of, of a big mushroom. So I'm thinking mm. maybe five, six inches across, something like that. Portobello size, maybe. Yeah, portobello size. Mm -hmm. And what this is really good for is oopsie bread. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. To make your own buns. Yeah. Yeah. You make your own buns. And so what I do is the regular oopsie bread recipe, which it, which calls for egg whites. And then you take the yolks and some cream cheese and whiz that all together. I'm going to say whiz now from <laughs> that, instead of beat or whip. Yep. Whiz just sounds <laughs> whiz better. Whiz it up. Yeah. Whiz it all up. And yep. uh, I throw in a little onion powder too. Yeah. And uh, that helps to flavor it a bit. You don't really need salt because the cheese is salty. And then you sort of fold that in to the egg whites and uh, plop them down in this muffin top tin, 300 degrees for maybe 10 to 20 minutes, depending on how hot your oven is. Nice. And you take these things out and they actually make, because of the muffin tops have this bevel on the outer edge, mm -hmm. they make these nice beveled bread pieces, for mm. lack of a better word, that actually have a shape. And so when I use these in sandwiches and things, I flip them over so the bottom is the top of the bread. Oh, okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And mm. uh, that's that's uh, an essential piece of kitchen gear that I use all the time. I've got to get me one of them. Yeah. Okay. So maybe we should uh, talk about a couple of essential techniques that you're going to need. Yeah. Um, things like making stock. We've done a recipe before about how to make stock, but this is essential for turning bones into broth. You know, and uh, you know, turning all of the skin and and connective tissue into gelatin, and yeah. uh, a lot of your sauces will be based around throwing some stock in. Basically, if you you sear you, you sear a steak or 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 somehow produce some fond at the bottom of the pan, you'll throw some some stock over the top of that, whisk it up, and you'll end up with a jus, basically. Yep. Yeah, stock is the base for every kind of sauce. And believe me, you're going to love the sauces. I mean, they just make meats so much more palatable, especially leaner cuts. Yeah. And they're mostly all keto as well. Yeah. Bechamel is probably the only one that's not keto. Yeah. And you can make a bechamel without the flour too. You just omit it. I mean, cr heavy cream is a great thickener. Really? You, yeah. You know, let it bubble and, yeah. and boil and mm. then turn it down and it basically thickens things up. Um, Richard has talked about his brown stock recipe, so we won't go into that, but it is a little bit more involved. If you're interested in cooking, but you're, you know, you don't have a lot of time, I'm going to give you a surefire tip for making stock. All right. Sure. And you don't need to use a pressure cooker, but if you have one, it's going to take a lot less time. You go to the store and you buy a rotisserie chicken and okay. it's going to cost you like five bucks Yeah. and it's already hot. Mm -hmm. Take that sucker home. And you basically take out the bones and the skin and set that aside, peel all the meat off. Just use your fingers, just peel all the meat and put it into a, a plastic Tupperware or something like that, or a metal bowl and, you know, make it, make the meat bite-sized. Mm -hmm. So it's not just big pieces of meat, just rip it all up, take all them bones and that skin. And you put that in a pot with water, salt. Uh, maybe some thyme, maybe some rosemary, maybe some sage. Bay leaf, maybe. Yeah. Bay leaf, maybe yeah. some onion powder, maybe <laughs> some garlic. Mm -hmm. And you just let that cook on the stove for, on simmer, you know, get it to a boil and then simmer it for a few hours, three, four hours. Yeah. If you have a pressure cooker, put it in the pressure cooker, do two one hour cycles. That's and, it. And oh yeah. 
Yeah. That's it right nice. there. But what's great about that is uh, it's already got that fond on the outside. It's sure. already got that sort of char, that mm. not a char, but... It's a Maillard reaction. It's a Maillard reaction yeah. that's happened on the surface of the skin that's turned it brown. It's caramelized, I guess. And yeah, it's caramelized, right. Yeah, cross link the proteins and the sugars, yeah. Now, what do you do with all that chicken? Well, I'm going to tell you. Mm-hmm. You get like a whole stalk of celery. Okay. And you chop that celery up into fine pieces and add it in there. Squirt in some mayonnaise, some celery salt, some black pepper. Kids, that's all you need. You've got the best chicken salad in the world right there. Oh, nice. And that chicken salad is great for just pull it at, you know, when you're hungry, pull a little bit out of that, take a slice of smoked Gouda cheese, like our provolone or some sort of really good cheese, slap some chicken salad in there, wrap it up, eat it like a taco. I'm telling you, no mm. hunger gone. Lovely. And now you've got stock. That's, that's, that's pretty impressive. It's a lot easier yeah. than my recipe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not as good as your recipe, trust me. But, you know, on a, on a budget and especially if you're time constrained, yeah. that's, that's a perfect way to get stock. Yeah. And of course, then what Richard does is, and I do this too, is we let it cool. We put it in ice cube trays. And then after it's frozen, take the cubes of stock put them in a big Ziploc bag, stick them back in the freezer. And now anytime you want stock, you just grab one of those and throw them in the pan, melt it. Yeah. You got I heard, stock. I saw somebody today on the forum talking about reduce, further reducing their uh, their stock so that it makes, makes it into mm. a gel and then they put them into oh, ice yeah. cube trays. And then the more gel-like they are, the more uh, the more concentrated they are. Yeah, And I, the more you reduce it, the more flavor you're going to get. I mean, look mm. at guys like Bobby Flay. What do they do? Mm. Yeah. They take stock, they take herbs, spices, whatever. And then he reduces and reduces and reduces. And what he's left with is a very thick, very rich, very, very flavorful sauce. Yeah. Nice. Nice. <laughs> so the, the other thing I use ice cube trays for is I one of, one of the techniques with cooking is something called a mirepoix in fr- French yeah. or soffritto in Italy or a trinity in America they call. So so basically you what you're doing is you're combining onion, celery and either carrots or bell peppers in Australia capsicums. So you're combining mm. these three, chopping them, dicing them very finely and you're cooking them in a bit of oil or fat. I or like butter. to cook mine in butter yeah, or bacon. Butter. Butter or bacon bacon fat. So I get an entire head of celery, like half Mm. a dozen stalks of celery. Mm. And I'll get a bunch of carrots and I'll get a bunch of onions. I'll dice them all up and I'll make up a big old pot of this sofrito, cooking it in a bit of bacon fat and then salting it well. So I'm basically making making really hyper-concentrated flavor. And... Yeah. Then what I do is I put it into ice cube trays. I freeze it in ice cube trays, do the same Brilliant. trick of putting it in, into, uh, into baggies. And then, for example, when I make a chicken stock, I'll just chuck one of these ice cubes in. Yeah. It's done. It's ready to go. The flavor's all there, ready to go. Add to my stock, add to my sauces. So, yeah, I highly mm. recommend you using uh, ice cube trays for things like mirepoix. And tomato sauce is another thing that yeah. you make and freeze in ice cube trays. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, wow, that we could go on and on here, folks. Yeah, we're gonna have not. to do another. <laughs> we're gonna have to do another show on cooking. But before we go into recipes, and I know this is a long show, we asked the people in our Facebook group to give us their favorite keto 
cooking blogs and or YouTube channels. Okay. And so we listed a few of these here and I'll just read them. Carrie suggested ditch the carbs at ditchthecarbs.com. Some really good recipes there. Sarah uh, suggested healthfulpursuit.com. Of course, there's reddit.com slash r slash keto recipes, which is, you know, lots and lots of good stuff up there. Kate says cooking keto with Christy is another good one. Uh, Michael says ruled.me. That's is a great low carb site. Yeah. Simon, uh, who's a member here, has a blog called uh, Keto Island, mm -hmm. ketoisland.com. Yeah. Of course, there's always Alton Brown. Dustin said uh, he likes Alton Brown and Chef Steps. Uh, mm. Neither are keto, but he likes those. I like Chef Steps. I get a lot. I also also have a blog called EasyLowCarb.com, uh, yep. which has got some recipes on it. Yeah, and my recipes are at CarlFranklin.net. Um, Caveman Keto is another good one, and yeah. I like him because his videos are concise. Mm. He doesn't waste your time, but you know exactly how to do what he's doing and nice. he does fat bombs he does fried cheese he does all sorts of great stuff and with that i think it's time for recipes recipes save y'all do for a little recipes recipes not that this whole show hasn't been recipes but okay <laughs> hit me carl <laughs> hit ya okay i have uh, talked about my take on Fathead Pizza, and if you don't know what Fathead Pizza is, there was a movie called Fathead, and in this movie, uh, I haven't seen the movie, but at least on the blog anyway, there's a pizza crust that is made from mozzarella and cream cheese and uh, almond flour, or almond meal, and an egg, and this has become a standard staple of not only our group, but ketonians everywhere right yeah, richard absolutely it's amazing newbies the first time they try they try the fathead pizza just about everybody says why didn't i do this before it's awesome and i said the same thing uh, i think it was brenda who said oh yeah that's definitely a staple <laughs> and it is but um i sort of I won't say I perfected it, but I, I perfected it for me. Right. And I like the this version of it, which I'm calling Carl's Head Pizza. Well, you did a test with a kitchen, didn't you? You, you, you actually went to a pizza kitchen and used mm. their equipment and showed them yeah. how to make fathead pizza. And yep. these guys may be involved in the Keto Fest that's coming up, right? Yeah, the Keto Fest, which is we're going to turn New London, Connecticut into a keto town for a weekend. Nice. Um, yeah, go to ketofest.com to check that out. It's mm. going to be amazing, folks. And next year, next year. Yeah. All right, so here's my take on Fathead Pizza. The biggest change is I omitted the egg. So the egg's a binder, right? Well, you think the egg is a binding, and the egg is binding for flour-based things, but we're talking about mozzarella cheese here, yeah. and that cheese is the itself. real binder. Yeah. It binds itself. Yeah, and it's... so I asked myself, once I was making this dough and I was working with it before I put the egg in, I'm like, you know what? This feels like pizza dough to me. Why would I add an egg? <laughs> it's just going to make it more um, watery, you know, more moist, I suppose. And I want a crispier crust. Right. So, so first of all, there's nothing at all wrong with the original recipe. I just think I found a way to improve it for me. All right. Well, anyway, it turns out that um, when you omit the egg, 
you run the risk of over crisping the crust. And especially when you cook it, like I'm going to show you how to cook it. Mm. So you have to watch carefully not to overcook it. I would start the first one airing on the side of caution, undercook it a little bit. All right. So the next mod is I use almond flour instead of almond meal. And right. I never really differentiated between the two. But almond meal is more coarse. Right. And it includes the brown almond skin. So it has these little flecks of brown in it. Um, yeah, I'm not going to make a judgment of whether which one is healthier or whatever. But it turns out you can get almond flour from Bob's Red Mill or any other or any other brand that sells it. And the almond flour is just a sort of an off-white color, and it's a lot finer. It's probably milled uh, blanched almonds then. Yeah, probably. Mm. Probably. And it, it seems to also be finer than meal. Meal tends to be coarse. Flour tends to be fine. All right. So, so I used that. And then rather than baking the crust on a cold cookie sheet, as I was saying before, I use a pizza stone that's already hot. And that gives the bottom a nice pizzeria-style crust. Right. And I also, when I flip it over, I, I brush a little olive oil on the bottom when I cook the toppings. In fact, I brush olive oil on the top when I cook the <laughs> toppings. Yeah. You can't add too much olive oil to a pizza crust, let me tell you. Nah. All right. So here's the modified recipe. One and a half cups of shredded mozzarella cheese, two tablespoons of cream cheese, three quarters of a cup of almond flour, a little garlic salt. Get the pizza stone or a preheated cookie sheet. You need some parchment paper. You need a rolling pin. So you place the pizza stone or the cookie sheet in the middle rack of the oven and preheat it to 450 degrees Fahrenheit. You put the mozzarella and the cream cheese in a microwave-safe bowl and cook it on high for 60 seconds. You remove that and stir it up with a fork until it's blended, and you put it back in the microwave for another 30 seconds. And then you pull it out, stir that up with a fork again, and now you add the almond flour and you really got to work this in and stir it well until it's completely incorporated. And then you want to let it cool for a minute because you need to work it with your hands. Mm. So when it's cooler to the touch, maybe after three or four minutes, you pick it up, knead it for 60 seconds or so just to make sure all that almond flour is truly incorporated. Just bend it inside out a couple of times and then shape it into a round ball with your hands. Right. Now you put it on a piece of parchment paper and flatten it down to about an inch thick, just so it makes a nice circle. Put another piece of parchment on top and you roll it out with a pin in all directions until it's about 12 inches in diameter. And you're going to experiment with sizes and thicknesses. If it's too thin, it might turn into a cracker crust. And if it's too thick, it might just be kind of, you know, mushy. But I think because you're omitting the egg, you can get a thicker crust and still make it crispy. So take the top parchment off, set it aside, because you're going to need that. You sprinkle the top with garlic salt, and you place it, including the bottom parchment, directly onto the pizza stone that's hot in the oven. Now you're going to have to watch it. Bake it under a watchful eye for five to eight minutes or until the edges get brown. And let me tell you something, that's all you need mm. is about five to eight minutes, because your temperature is hot and you're on a hot pizza stone. So now you open the oven, pull out the rack, and remove it by holding on to the edges of the parchment paper on either side and just pull it off and put it you on the table. You slide it off, or, yeah. Yeah, slide it off or, or just pick it up and put it right on your countertop. And then you're going to pierce the bubbles that, sh that form in it with a fork or a knife. 
you're going to flip it over. But before you do that, brush the top with olive oil because that top is now going to become your bottom. Right. You flip that over and brush the top again, you know, the new top, which is the bottom that you just cooked, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Should be golden brown. Coat that with olive oil too. Add your pre-cooked toppings, cheese, herbs, whatever. I like to use the back of a spoon and just uh, to spread the olive oil and you just spin the pizza and you basically get a nice good coverage of olive oil. Right. If you want sauce, there's low carb sauces. Mm -hmm. Typically a tomato sauce is going to about four carbs per quarter cup. So just be careful with that. But add your cheese, herbs, whatever, meats. Pre-cooked toppings, if you're going to have meat, make sure they're already cooked. Mushrooms, make sure they're already cooked. Onions, etc. unless you want them raw. It's the same as a fathead. You're not going to be cooking the meat on the pizza. No. You're, going to, you're, just, you're going to be cooking the cheese. Yeah, you want to, you want to melt the cheese and warm up the, the toppings. So you put that back in the oven for another five to eight minutes or until the toppings have cooked and the cheese is melted. And then you just remove and enjoy. Cut with a wow. piece of slicer. And, that sounds uh, awesome. Yeah. And so the taste is qualitatively different from uh, the, the fat head. With that, that it won't be as eggy. Right. And it'll be a finer it'll be a finer flour. So it'll it'll feel like wheat flour. It, yeah. It really is the closest thing to pizza I've ever had on wow. the keto diet. Awesome. There it is. That's my recipe. What you got? So I've got salmon and it's a recipe called salmon with salmon bacon. And what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to use a sous vide to cook the salmon perfectly medium rare. Yeah. Now, the problem, I mean, the salmon's an oily fish. It's fine for most people to eat medium rare, but, but children and elderly and immunocompromised people shouldn't eat medium rare fish. Right. Um, our pregnant women also shouldn't eat medium rare fish. We're going to be sous viding it. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be putting it in a vacuum bag and we're going to be put it, putting it at a temperature um, and cooking it perfectly. But what I'm going to do first is I'm going to remove the skin. So you get a fillet of salmon and there's a small uh, triangle down one side of that fillet and if you grab that with a pair of pliers, you can pull the entire skin off the surface of that salmon. And now, so is gonna, it easier to pull off the skin before you cook it or after? Before you cook it. Definitely want to pull, oh. pull, remove it before you cook it because what we're going to be doing is we're going to be, we're going to be getting two cookie trays and we're going to be getting some parchment. Uh, so we're going to have a cookie tray, some parchment on that. We're going to lay our strips of skin on that parchment. We're going to put another piece of parchment on top and we're going to put another cookie tray on top and we're going to put it in the oven and we're going to bake it. And what oh. that does is that makes salmon bacon. <laughs> salmon bacon. bacon. So, uh, so that's one step of the process. Now, I've got an entire blog on the details. Uh, we don't have a lot of time to go into the weeds here. but yeah. um, So what you've got now is you've got your salmon bacon that's in the oven. Now, what you also want to do is you, we obviously want to cook the salmon, but if you just cook salmon in a bag now in a sous vide, what will happen is all of the albumin in that's in the muscle of the salmon will come out and it'll be like a milky uh, a milky material that you see and it's it's unsightly. So what I like to do is I like to brine the, the fish first. So what uh, you can do is you can you can put it in a ten percent brine. So t uh, per per weight ten percent uh, salt, ninety percent water mixture. You put your salmon fillets in that for maybe thirty minutes in the fridge, um, and that will that what that will do is that will set the um, 
albumin in the meat so so you don't end up with that nasty discharge of white material when you cook it and then oh, nice. you're going to set your temp if you if you want to have a medium uh, cooked fish you probably want 57 degrees or 135 fahrenheit uh, but if you like me you want a medium rare fish that is really the best way to eat salmon <laughs> i tell you it is choice and so you want 52 celsius or 125 fahrenheit nice. now the thing with meats most mammal meats you can leave in the bag leave in the the uh, sous vide uh, for three or four days Fish you don't want to because there's a enzyme that breaks down the proteins in the fish and it becomes sort of mealy and not a very nice texture when it when it's uh, cooked for over an hour. So I generally cook mine for about thirty minutes. So it's been thirty minutes brining, and I am aware that I've got my salmon bacon in the oven. That only needs to be in there until it just starts to go brown, and then you just put oh, it aside yeah. and let it go dry. And uh, that salmon bacon is uh, you're going to use that to dress the salmon at the end. So, so you chuck the salmon in a bag. Now you've brined it. You've you 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 now coat it with a bit of olive oil. Put it in the bag. Seal the bag up. Put it in the sous vide at 52 degrees for about 30 minutes. Maybe twenty five minutes, but you basically you'll be able to feel that the that the fish is ready, and then what I do is I put it straight on a warm plate, and I also mix up a uh, I, I I blend a avocado, a soft avocado, and some wasabi and a little bit of mayonnaise to make a sauce oh, to go on top nice. of the salmon. And wasabi wow. just has a really awesome. It's it's almost. Like it, it's a horseradish. It's, it's a horseradish. It's a Japanese horseradish, but what it does is it enhances the umami of the salmon. So it enhances that umami flavor. Umami is a Japanese word that means savory. Yeah, it's it's the flavor of protein. The glutamates. Yes, that's it. So these umami flavors, basically, the salmon, and it's it. Basically, what I do is I smear some of this avocado wasabi uh, mayonnaise dressing over the top of the piece of salmon, and then put the bacon on top of that, and maybe put a bit of salad on the side. That's my that's my meal. So salad. Um, that's salad. what food eats. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yes. kidding, of course. I eat salad every day. Yeah, I eat salad uh, all the time. Just to add to your recipe, Richard, and I mm. apologize we're going long here, but I, I think everyone's still with us. <laughs> um, I serve my salmon fillets with a sauce that's more like a Greek tzatziki sauce, okay, which is sour cream, mm -hmm. all right, as a base, mm -hmm. and then you can either add fresh chopped garlic or, if you want something tamer, Richard's roasted garlic that you just sort of squeeze out and oh, nice, and, uh, yeah whiz up and also chopped fresh dill mm. dill goes really really, really well with salmon. with salmon yeah yeah and so you chop up fresh dill weed and you sprinkle that in there and mix it all up with some salt and pepper and garlic and that right there is just a oh, wonderful yeah. rich sauce if you really want it more rich you can add a little mayonnaise to it that sounds delicious no that sounds really good well again we apologize for going long but uh it was pretty awesome, wasn't it? Yeah, we've just enjoyed talking about cooking. So if you have anything that you want to tell us, something we said wrong or something that you don't agree with, some more research that you found to support or refute what we've said, please send it by email to dudes at 2ketodudes.com or post it on our website. And again, join our Facebook group at fb.2keto.com. Follow us on Twitter at 2ketodudes and also on Instagram, Instagram. at 2ketodudes. Party on, Garth. <laughs> <laughs>
Kanye on Wine. Keep calm and keto on. And we'll see you next week on Two, Two Keto, keto Dudes. Dudes.